Easter was not the end. It was the beginning. It was the start. Uh, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is by far uh, the most significant uh, fact in the Bible uh, for so many of us. And as we meet together today, we're going to talk about uh, the fact that, again, there were things that happened after Easter that were significant. Um, to that end, let's just pray. Father, we ask your blessing on our time together today. And thank you for the privilege of uh, worship. We pray especially today, Lord, for our brothers and sisters in Sudan who are struggling so much uh, today. Just pray that you would be their source of strength and healing and help in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, your, our church is part of a family of churches. Uh, it's called Converge. It used to be, it was started 165 years ago as the Swedish Baptist General Conference. And for the first 75 years, all the services were in Swedish. Uh, it started in Rock Island, Illinois, of all places, as a little group of people got together and wanted to, uh, to get baptized. Uh, you have to know that they came out of Sweden because of religious persecution. It was against the law in Sweden for people to sit down, even in their homes, and have a Bible study together. You were breaking the law if there was not a pastor from the Church of Sweden there to lead the Bible study. And so uh, a lot of times the Christians actually had to secretly study the Bible and a lot of times, I'm always fascinated, they would put a bottle of whiskey on the table so that if somebody came in, they wouldn't realize they were having a Bible study. And uh, I don't know if they actually drank. Oh, that's another. But uh, it's interesting that they came to America, a lot of them, for just the freedom to do what we're doing here today in worship. Uh, the services in the 40s switched to English in almost every church. And... and uh, the movement started to grow and multiply. Because we came from a group of immigrants, we still regard ourselves as people who are trying to reach the new immigrants of America. So, for example, in Converge, we have 35 Vietnamese churches because over the last few decades, as Vietnam was falling apart, we were starting churches here. We have churches, uh, a number of churches, working, uh, supporting Ukrainian people right now. We have... Uh, in, out of our churches, out of every four of our churches, one of them is a, uh, an ethnic church, a church of people of color. And so we are a very diverse group. We are also the best group of church planters, according to Ed Stetzer from the Billy Graham Center, the best group of planting churches uh, in, in the country right now is us and our movement, uh, which continues to grow. And uh, we are. Uh, and it's interesting, that video is older. I like the video, but it's about 10 years old now. And one of the indications of that is the number, because uh, it said when they did that, we had 1,200 churches. Today, we have over 1,600 churches. Uh, that's how fast we grow in just 10 years. And uh, we're excited because we believe, again, uh, every study on evangelism I've ever seen says the best evangelistic method is starting churches. More people come to know and follow Jesus through starting new churches than, than anyone else. Uh, and in the Pacific Northwest here, in the last dozen years, you've started 25 new churches. Uh, and God is, uh, is continuing to work through, through what we're doing together. Uh, Warren Wiersbe, my great mentor, said that Christianity is a missionary faith. And at its core, I believe that that's a true statement. And today we look at the end of Matthew's gospel, 
starting in chapter uh, 28, verse 18. If you have your Bible, you can open it to that. And <clears throat> we look, first of all, Jesus came and uh, told his disciples. Now, you remember at the, when Mary came to the garden, she, uh, Jesus told her, tell my brothers to go to Galilee and I'll meet them there. So now they're actually, they're meeting with him there. And as he came and uh, talked to his disciples, he says, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Now that was not just something that happened because of, of the resurrection. Actually, we're told repeatedly in this gospel that there are places where Jesus says that God has given him authority. But here he's a little more specific that he has authority in heaven and on earth. He's just very clear about the power and the authority that he has. If you've ever been in the military, you know, if somebody comes to you and says, this is what, this is, uh, this is what you want, we want you to do, uh, it's different if they say, this is what we want you to do, or if they say, this is an order from General so-and-so. It's the question is, who has the authority? And in this situation, he says, I've got the authority for what he's going to say next. Therefore, because I have that authority, go. Go. Make disciples of all the nations. Um, therefore, notice the therefore. In the Bible, the, the rule of thumb is anytime you see the word therefore, you should see what it's there for. And it, it's flowing out of what came before that. Okay, because I have all the authority, here's what, what I'm asking you to do in essence. And, and the fact is, what he's going to say now is in the Greek tense is in the imperative voice. It's as strong a verb as you can give. And he says, this is what you should do because I've got the authority. Here's what I want you to do now. So this is an order coming from the highest authority. And you'll notice again in the text that there's several places where the word all is, at least four different times. I've been given all authority. I want you to go to all the nations. And then, um, and then uh, you'll see, we'll talk about the other two in a minute. But it says here just that it starts with that simple word go. The Greek verb translated go, by the way, is actually not a command, but a present participle. Uh, it's actually the word going, or we would say as you are going, make disciples. And uh, there's a couple of present participles are interesting. You can usually tell them because of the ing ending. And what they denote is continuous action in the current sense. Okay, uh, so it says baptizing, teaching. These are all present participles. And actually, it, it grammatically it wouldn't flow as well, but if the, it should say, therefore, going, make disciples would probably be a more accurate translation of what it says here. And it says, and make disciples of all the nations. Now, uh, the only, again, the only verb in the Great Commission that he gives us, which is what we call this passage, the only verb, the only action word is this imperative, make disciples. He does not say, you know, I suggest you make disciples. He, he commands us to make disciples. Uh, again, in the text, Dr. Wiersbe, again, the only command in the entire Great Commission is make disciples, teach all nations. Jesus said, while you are going, make disciples of all the nations. Uh, what does it mean to make disciples? 
How do you make disciples? It's not a cookie cutter kind of thing where if you're a real disciple of Christ, here's the, you know, there's always like, here's a list of 10 things or eight things or four things or, you know, something like there's a formula for it. Uh, to, to meet, know, and follow Jesus is a lifelong occupation. I like the description that uh, Broadus gave. To disciple a person to Christ is to bring him into the relation of pupil to teacher, taking his yoke of authoritative instruction, accepting what he says is true because he says it, and submitting to his requirements as right because he makes them. Disciples are those who hear, understand, and obey Jesus' teaching. Uh, again, we are not just told to do this uh, just in this gospel. I mean, we also have it in Luke 24, 47. Luke 24, 47, there's a prophetic thing that says this, this task of reaching out in, and bringing disciples to Christ is something that was talked about in the, in the book of Daniel. Uh, in J John 20, 21, a familiar verse, as the Father has sent me, so I am what? sending you as he send, has sent me past tense i am now sending present participle continuous activity i'm sending you and he says as you go and as you make disciples of all the nations here's how you're going to do that here's the keys number one you're going to baptize them uh, what's the middle name of our church by the way oh baptist okay you know uh for the first 1,300 years of church history, every group that, that baptized did it by immersion. It's very interesting to me, when I was in L.A., that the, uh, the Our Lady of the Angels Church and there, there was another new church out in, the, out in the suburbs, and both of those churches, when they were built, new churches were created that, that there's a place in the church where there is a full immersion baptistry in a Catholic church. And the reason they said they had the full immersion baptistry was because they said when, when people are immersed, they feel like they've been baptized. Now, what's the purpose of baptism? We've, we had the privilege of watching that on Easter. And the purpose of baptism is it's a public testimony of your faith. Uh, in a couple of weeks, I'm going to go to uh, uh, Los Angeles. I was originally going for my, uh, my oldest granddaughter is graduating from high school and was going for her graduation. And, uh, but I have to go earlier now because her younger sister has decided she wants to get baptized that week. And I am not going to miss that. I mean, uh, you don't know my Noelle's story, but when Noelle was born in California, she was diagnosed with a very rare genetic disease. She was diagnosed that uh, her body would not be able to process protein properly. So as a result of that, she would never have a proper brain or heart development and probably wouldn't live very long. And I always tell Noel, you have been prayed for more than any child who I've known in my entire life because I'll tell you, I, if I ran into somebody on the street, I'd ask them to pray for my granddaughter as, as we were waiting to see if that would be confirmed a couple weeks later. And it, thank God, I believe God healed her within just those couple weeks. And so when she's getting baptized, you bet I'll be there. 
I'll be crying and praising God because I wasn't sure that child was going to live. I have never, you know, you're not supposed to make bargains with God. I was making bargains with God. I was promising God everything I could think of to promise him if he would just spare her life. And now here she is uh, just going into being a teenager and following Christ in that way. It's a public statement of I identify with Jesus Christ. And we even had a beautiful, beautiful testimony from an old, from a, uh, I'm going to say older woman. And uh, we said her age last week. I won't say it again. But what a great testimony it was. Uh, be here and witness that and to hear her talk about what Christ means to her. Very touching uh, for us. I think all of us felt that way. And it's just such a joy to do that. And I was really happy at how enthusiastic everybody was when people were baptized. It was just so great to celebrate that on Easter because it is being buried, but also raised to life with Christ that we celebrate. Why do we do it? Well, Jesus commanded us to do it. He commanded us to do it. This is not optional. Well, maybe I'll feel, hey, Jesus commanded you to do it. Are you going to do it or not? I mean, really, are you going to be faithful and, and obey him or not? And uh, as uh, Don Cousin, uh, Carson, the great uh, New Testament scholar, said, the New Testament can scarcely conceive of a disciple who is not baptized or is not instructed. Envisaged in that proclamation of the gospel that will result in repentance and faith, witnessed by baptism and by obedience. Baptizing them... In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Then he goes on, teach them. So it's not just uh, it's not just baptizing them, but it's teaching them again. Present participle. It's actually teaching these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you. Um, what are you supposed to teach them? What are we supposed to teach our kids? What are we supposed to teach uh, somebody who's a new Christian? My daughter has pretty much devoted her life and her church ministry to working with people who aren't Christians, teaching alpha classes, teaching first steps classes, helping church people to learn the basics of being a Christian and come to, to know and follow Jesus. That's what she's passionate about. Somebody has to teach these people. Somebody has to kind of bring them along. And that has to be done because every human being is a unique human being. Each one has to be tailored to who that person is. You know that verse in the Bible where it says, bring up a child in the way sh they should go, and when they're old, they won't depart from it? I mean, literally what the verse is saying is bring up a child in the way that that child should go and then they won't depart from it. That each child has a different way. Each child has a unique way that they're going to develop in life. And you have to bring that child up in the way that, that works for, for that particular child. I had a friend named Bud Bodine, and Bud was the uh, vice principal of Homewood Flossmoor High School. In, we lived in Homewood, Illinois. And uh, he had nine kids. Um, I talked to his wife one time, because he had eight boys and a girl. <laughs> and I said, wow, you guys really like to have kids. She said, well, I kept finding uh, an article somewhere about a new way to have a girl, and we kept trying. <laughs> and, and their dear daughter, by the way, their dear daughter, who was the number nine in the birth order, was adopted. So, <laughs> so there's a lesson in that somewhere. But uh, we asked Bud if he would teach a class on parenting because he was in charge of discipline at the high school, and he had nine kids. 
And Bud says, oh, I'm, I could not, I can't do that. I said, how, how come you can't help it? You're, you're working with kids all the time. Why can't you teach us some of the things you've learned? Help us to be better parents. He says, because the only thing I've learned is what's exactly right for one child is exactly wrong for another one. And I said, well, teach that, Bud. We need to hear that. Everyone is unique, and it's the same way with young believers. Think of, a, of a, not a child, but a, someone who's very young in their faith. They need to be brought about in the way that, that works for them. You've got to connect with them somehow to get to know who they are. You can't manufacture this. What are you supposed to teach them? To obey all the commands I've given you. Well, uh, he does not say, by the way, teach them the whole Bible. He does not say, you know, teach them uh, all the teachings throughout history of the church. He, he says, I want you to teach them all the commands that I have given you. These authoritative commands that I have given you as my disciples that you have followed, now it's your turn to pass those commands along to them and ask them to do that as well. What's the key word? Obey. Obey. Uh, one of the things that was not very popular with my oldest daughter was she was always kind of pushing the agenda a little bit, you know. Firstborn. Anybody here a firstborn? Yeah, you get it. You know, and she would kind of push the, the limits a little bit. And she had a very conservative father, you know, who grew up in a Baptist church where, you know, we don't smoke and we don't chew and we don't go with girls who do, you know. And dancing and other things were just verboten. And in our family, you, you know, when I grew up, you couldn't even go to a bowling alley because they served alcohol. It was a pretty conservative upbringing. And, uh, and so she kind of stretched me uh, a, a lot at, at different times in my life. And... The key often is, will the child do what you ask him to do? So we finally came up with 10 house rules, 10 house rules that you had to live by to live in our house. Uh, number one was uh, we work first, we play second. So you can, you can do what you want and have fun and call your friends or do a video game, whatever, but you do that after your homework's done. Another one of our house rules was you have to come home today. You can walk in the door at 11.59, but you have got to come home today. Uh, and we had a few rules in there about dating, and one of them was uh, you weren't allowed to go out with any boy who was driving a van, you know, and, uh, <laughs> and uh, oh, man, we gave those rules out. She just blew up, <laughs> cried, and got so upset. By the way, uh, she was one of elected one of the leaders in their church last year so you know she's gone on to greatness but uh every child's different you got to teach them to obey though to do what god's commanded you to do and and then he ends though with this great promise be sure of this be sure of this how many times do we have to say it so we get it be sure of this don't doubt this depending on how you feel don't doubt this on a bad day. Don't doubt this when your emotions are running ragged. Don't doubt this when life is dealing you a really bad hand. Don't doubt this when it seems like uh, it's raining every day and it's gray in your heart and soul. Don't doubt this. Be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. 
I am with you always. Let me translate that for you. I don't like to, I've taken six years of Greek, so I can teach you a lot of things out of the Greek language, which the New Testament was written in. But uh, here's just one. Pasis tes hemeros, literally here, means strictly the literal translation would be the whole, the whole of every day. Know this for I am with you for the whole of every day. The whole of every day, from the hours you're sleeping to the hours you're awake, from the times you're at work to the times you're playing, to the times you're at home to the times that you've got some struggles going on and you're in the doctor's office, wherever you go, every day of your life, the whole of every day, I'm with you. Can anybody say, thank you, Jesus? Anybody say, amen. Amen. Every day, the whole of the day, whether you feel like it or not, whether you want to or not, I'm there, I'm with you. And I've heard so many people say, one of my dear friends was, uh, she's in the hospital right now, her name is uh, Ginny Edwards, her, her husband uh, was head of the teaching marriage and family at, uh, at uh, Rosemead School of Psychology at Biola for, for over uh, 35 years. And uh, he was, uh, he loves to sail, so he was in uh, the harbor in California, he was coming in to the pier to pick up some people, and he hit a wood piling. And as a result of that, his wife was in the wrong place at the wrong time, and she was right where the stairways went down to the galley, and she fell down the stairways, hit her head on the counter, broke her neck, you know, in vertebrae, ended up with one of those halo things, you know, they put her on your head, and she's in the hospital now. She's... Uh, Finally, they've moved her from a ventilator to a trach tube now, but she's not able to speak. And, and, and just going through a really rough time. Jenny, he's with you. With you today. Well, why wasn't he with me the day the boat hit the... <clears throat> he was. And don't ask me to explain everything that happens. I can't. I just know that this world is this world. And there are, there are always things that are going to happen. You can't stop that. Because there's just a, there's evil in this world. There's struggle in this world. I hate cancer. I hate people who get killed by drunk drivers. There's just so many things in the world that make me angry, that make me upset. And I don't understand why God allows it, but he does. And, and it's maybe not to become a Christian that we don't have any of those struggles, but it's how we deal with the struggles that's what's different. I think that's an important point. Jesus does not foresee a time when any part of his teaching will be rigidly judged, will be rightly judged, needless, outmoded, superseded, or untrue. He says, you're going to teach what I, te- what I tell you to teach, until the end of the age, until the end, until Christ ultimately comes back at the second coming. You will teach everything to the very end of the age. He says it's never going to get old, it's never going to be, I mean, think about it. Some of those teachings, you know, are are close to 2,000 years old. It's relevant today. Again, in college, I was a philosophy major. You know, what most of what people are still studying in philosophy, the basis for everything is, you know, Socrates and Plato and Epicurus, and a lot of those people are still, you know, dominant uh, teachers. And, And the teachings of Christ still stand. They're some of the greatest things that have ever been said. 
uh, and some of the greatest, uh, not just moral teachings, but the greatest direction in life. I love, by the way, that uh, if you look at Matthew chapter 1, verse verse, uh, uh, 23, it talks about Jesus being born, and the angel says, you will call his name what? Anybody remember? Emmanuel. Emmanuel. What does Emmanuel mean? God with us. Matthew begins his gospel with that, and he ends his gospel with that. He, he begins by saying he's going to come, and his name is going to be, he's the God who's with you. And then Jesus ends by saying, you know what? He's with you always. He's with you again the whole of every day. The whole of every day. Not just in the good moments, not just in their spiritual, every day, the whole of it. Some quotes about this, this uh, mission that God has given to us. Uh, well, first of all, Uh, Acts 19. One night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision and told him, don't be afraid, speak out. Don't be silent for I'm with you and no one will attack and harm you for many people in this city belong to me. I believe it was in Corinth. Uh, The greatest thing that people have studied about why people don't share their faith, you know what the number one reason is? Fear. The Southern Baptist did an extensive study for years, hired a man to do a study, and at the end of it, he came up, the biggest reason why 80% of the people don't share their faith is they're afraid. Afraid what people will think of them, afraid they won't do it well. It says that God told Paul, really, even Paul needed it, don't be afraid. Speak out, don't be silent, because I've already got... He, you know, he's just coming to this city. There's no church there. There's no Christians there. They know. And God says, I've already got people here I'm working on. The Great Commission, by the way, this is a chart Barna gave out a couple years ago. And it was uh, how many people go for, yeah. You can see the top here. Have you heard of the Great Commission? These are people who go to church in North America. Not just, you know, here, but all over America, all the people in all the different churches who go Have you heard of the Great Commission? Zoom in on that a little bit. Go forward one. And you'll see that it says that only 17% say they know what it means. 17% say, I know what the Great Commission is about. That's pretty sad. Most of the people in the church, we call it the Great Commission, and most people don't even know it. And yet Revelation 9, we sang about it earlier. After this, I saw a, a vast crowd, too great to count, from every nation and tribe and people and language, standing in front of the throne, people from Panama, people from Morocco, people from Mexico, people from all the places that people in our church have gone or are going. John uh, Piper and... And uh, David Mathis wrote, the goal of missions is the worldwide worship of the God-man by his redeemed people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. The outcome of missions is all people delighting to praise Jesus, and the motivation for missions is the enjoyment that his people have in him. Goes on in Revelation, they were shouting with a great roar, Salvation comes from our God who sits on the throne 
and from the Lamb, and all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living beings, and they fell before the throne with their faces to the ground and worshiped God. And they sang, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and strength belong to our God forever and ever. Amen. That's what we're trying to get to. It says in, in Jesus' words where the whole, his prophecy at the end, he says, the whole word, world will hear the gospel and then the end will come. Uh, it just hasn't happened yet. G. Campbell Morgan was uh, visiting some older women from his church who had trouble reading, and he would just every week meet with them, and he would read the Bible to them, and they were reading through the Gospel of Matthew, and he came to the end, and Dr. Morgan read those words, Lo, I'm with you always to the end of the age. And he said, Isn't that a wonderful promise? And one of the women said, It isn't a promise. It's a fact. It's a fact. He's with the whole of every day. Whether you feel like it or not, he's there. Lord Jesus, put your arms around us right now and just love on us. Heal us, strengthen us, cure us, forgive us, bless us. All for your glory. May we know in a fresh way just your constant presence with us. In the name of your dear son, Jesus, amen. Um, it's been about uh, nine years now since I, I left the job I had. I'd been a pastor of the church in Southern California for 18 years, and uh, I was doing quite well, frankly. I mean, <clears throat> 7,000 people on Easter. Every week we had at least 3,200 people in church. Uh, and I just felt God wrestling with me because at that point I'd been working in Estonia for about 15 years and it was really getting hard for me to run this church with 15 pastors and 50 people on staff and to take care of the people of the church and all the programs and plan everything and it was taking so much time to do that and to do the work that God had put in my heart 25 years and so I, I did the only thing I could think to do. I quit the job at the church and decided to go out and try to raise support as a missionary. You know, I had an initial supporter who told me he'd give me support for five years and he quit after two. And, uh, but I, I did what I felt God was calling me to do because I felt, you know what? I've got an assistant pastor who was helping me preach. He's ready. He can take over the church. And he, he has. He's done a great job. But... I had to do what God put on my heart, which I was the first word of the Great Commission. I couldn't get away from it. I had to not just preach it to people. I had to do it. I had to go. I had to go. And I know uh, Kathy's going to Mexico this week, and I know we've had people from Panama. We've got people going to Morocco. Praise God for that, that we've got people who care enough to do what Christ has commanded us to do 
Go and make disciples. It is not optional. It is a command from him. And when I started working in, in Europe 25 years ago, we had two missionary families in all of Europe. And we now I'm part of the leadership of a group called our Euro Med, our European Mediterranean, our, every, all the countries around the Mediterranean. And uh, we've got over 100 missionaries now working in that area. We're, we're just even uh, about 12 years ago, I think we only had about two families. So God is doing some great things in our fellowship uh, in Convergent. I'm just going to close by showing you this video. When I was a boy, there was a woman who was a missionary in uh, Japan. And at the end of a meeting at camp, she said, if you would be willing if, to say, if God calls me, I would be willing to go somewhere else in this world and help people come to know Jesus. She always said, uh, I want you to raise your hand. I didn't even know what I was doing when I raised my hand that day. I didn't know what God had in store for me. But I'll tell you, uh, I'm certainly glad that God did it. I mean, it's, I love the fact that I'm able to see people come into Christ just about every day in parts of the world, the other side of the world from me. 
So I'd like to ask a hard question as we close today. And I'd like to ask you that question. If God, uh, would you, how many of you would say honestly, you know what, if God would call me, I'd go. If God asked me, if God laid out something before me and said, I want you to, now I know some of you can't do it for all kinds of reasons, I, uh, you know, health reasons and otherwise, but how many of you would say, you know what, if God would call me, I'd be willing to go. Would you stand up right now? Father, I just pray for these who are standing that you would show them how they can help the cause of Christ in this world. And we say together, Lord, we listen together to that great benediction from the book of Revelation that you gave to us, that people from every tribe, every language, every people group will one day say, Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and strength belong to our God forever and ever. Amen. Thanks.